0: The screaming Neemans on Blaze Radio. Welcome back, everyone, to the Screamin' Neemans. You're here with me, Blake Neiman, and my partner here alongside me, Edward Neiman, as we bring you another episode of the podcast, bringing you hot takes, sports analysis, and all the things in between. We're so glad to come to you here today, and we got lots of stuff going on in the sports world, particularly with the Philadelphia Phillies and the Houston Astros ahead of this 2022 fall classic square off between the underdog and david and goliath as one would say and thus, the question asking everyone, with the Astros being so dominant through this postseason, is if the Phillies even stand a chance. So, with that being said, Edwards, do the do the Phillies stand a chance at all in this World Series?
1: Yeah, I'll say coming off on paper, you know, this is a this is a matchup I didn't particularly like. Um, you know, I think the Astros are on paper the more dominant team by a mile, in my opinion. But the Phillies are a team that are getting hot at the right time. I think the Phillies have been really good at home, and I'm just really liking the. going into this you know you have the Astros who are the team um, as we mentioned completely dominant on paper but the Phillies have been uh, picking up steam as the playoffs has been going on the offense has been really getting going we've seen Kyle Schwarber and Bryce Harper really doing their thing out there and I don't know I I think they do stand a chance I think there's gonna a a lot of things that are gonna have to go their way and, and, and go right for them but I think they do stand a slight chance you know, I think if the the series was to go seven games in a game seven, I,
0: I would like the Phillies. I think it's just the year of the underdog in the sense of just baseball being one of the sports that favors the underdog and just... The, the series last year between the Braves and the Astros, the Braves were an underdog all season long, and they slipped in in the wild card and made their way all the way to the World Series, upsetting the Dodgers, getting their revenge from that 2020 Mickey Mouse season where the Dodgers won the World Series. But I think the Phillies, this Phillies team is special, and you can't have a more fe- special fan base than the city of Philadelphia with those fans rallying behind you. And Bryce Harper is... As we were mentioning last week, coming in full circle into his career and just being able to really capture this moment in his career and trying to be kind of the chosen one as he's been had that label placed upon him ever since he was drafted back in 2009. And now, with an opportunity at his first World Series after a postseason in which he's won his first playoff series ever and just his first actual shot at a World Series to really. Exemplify his Hall of Fame career. It it definitely favors the Phillies and it favors their meaty lineup that contains Kyle Schwarber and Bryce Harper, as I've been har- harping on about. But I definitely think the year of the underdog is a, a, a threat, but this Astros team is going to be able to hold their own, no doubt, just with Jose Altuve and all, and all the pitching staff that comes with that and an emerging rookie that we'll get into later that has really changed the outcome of this Astros team. And just I don't know if I've seen a more dominant Astros team, even that 2017 team, 7-0 and start to the postseason. It's, it's pretty remarkable.
1: Yeah, I, I, I would take the Astros if I was a betting man, but I would not count out the Phillies. And I think you brought up a good point was last year with the Braves. They were getting hot at the right time, much like the Phillies are now. And it was their offense that was a really big part of that championship run for them, just like the Phillies this year. And, you know, I think in a sense we see these patterns, especially in the playoffs of baseball, is the teams that find success in World Series runs are the ones that get hot at the right time, especially offensively. Like pitching you have to have, but if your offense can get going like it has been for the Phillies, I give them a real shot at
0: this one. It's going to be an interesting fall classic. It will get kicked off this Friday at Minute Maid Park down in Houston. It should be a good one, folks. But moving away from the baseball scene, we'll circle back to it here in a second. But a little bit closer to home, uh, Arizona State football held a 14-3 lead going into halftime in their matchup this weekend against the stanford cardinal but after being shut out by the cardinal in the second half the sun devils fell victim to kicker joshua Cardi, who was responsible for all of stanford's points converting five field goals in all to complete the comeback 15 to 14 victory just in this game it was An atrocious second half for Sean Iguano's team what really stood out to you in this Sun Devils loss
1: yeah I I think you mentioned I mean (laughs) respectfully it was it was a brutal game to watch It, it was really tough it was for me this the offense not being able to get anywhere. It was like they were running in sand. They weren't finding much success really anywhere. It, you know, tr- you try to try to look downfield past the ball. wasn't really clicking. Trying to get that run game going wasn't really you know clicking in a way that the Sun Devils would have liked. And the thing that hurts me about this one is the fact that ASU looked good coming into that bye they looked good and i thought this was a turning point for them i thought they could take some uh, momentum from that win over washington and carry it in and i and i really I'm still bracing for a good second half of the season for them, but I think this loss does hurt. And I just hope that the morale and the chemistry of the team is, is able to stick in um, and, and that momentum that they built off that win against Washington is able to still trickle through to the second half. But, yeah, I mean, it, the, the defense didn't play horrible. I mean, you mentioned it. They held Stanford to just field goals, and you can't really be mad about that. Fifteen points is not bad at all either. So, you know, it, it is if the offense can get going, I think this team can be a special team in that respect as the defense has been there nearly all year, even against really tough-ranked opponents. It's just the offense that has been having trouble to get going.
0: I couldn't agree more just in the sense that the defensive aspect of the defense has been victim to obviously the scoring and it looking like it's been the defense's fault but throughout the season this defense has stepped up and made big plays they've had an interception in every single game they've had and they've had leadership in that defense the best leaders on that team Kyle Sully and among others uh, Merlin Robinson are, are huge leaders in that linebacking core and it's just That defense just gets worn down from the offense's lackluster success and inability to stay on the field, especially with old habits coming about. We saw in that Washington game, ASU really step up their game in the sense of third down and penalty-wise, but those old habits came back to bite them here against stanford four of 13 on third down and then critical um, dumb penalties throughout the game eight for 75 that's going to set you back and that's really what let stanford trickle back in this game just the penalties and the third down efficiency in lackluster second half but in the washington game there's a big difference between who was under center Yes, It was Trenton Borgay who came in and led the comeback. The biggest win for the Sun Devils thus far this year, but they're only on their win coming against NAU, not even at FBS school. So Emory Jones has an efficient first half. I like what I saw from him in the first half against Stanford, but in the second half really began to fall off and um, look like the Emory Jones we were seeing against Oklahoma State in the previous games against Utah and USC and not really being able to find that factor in the second half, and so many times the Sun Devils have been unable to find it in the second half. And so Sean Aguano, I saw him picking up Emory Jones, picking up his teammates. So I, I really don't blame this loss. blame more on Sean Aguano. I'd say it's more on the fault of Emory Jones.
1: Yeah, you know, and Aguano mentioned this in the post game against USC, and it stuck with me. Was I feel like the USC game was one of the first games that I saw that offense come out and look like they had a plan. They looked like they were knew what they were running, had a type of tempo to them that I didn't see up until that game of the season. And Aguano mentioned the fact that they were, you know, being more efficient on the early downs, first and second down, not putting themselves in positions for long third downs. And you know, I saw ASU face some situations that you know, despite them being against Stanford, you don't want to be in third and longs against anybody. And I saw, you know, a lot of, of situations that put a lot of that pressure on Emory Jones. And I think that that added to some of the, the drop-off in the, in the second half that we saw. As you mentioned, first half, I was, I was pretty impressed. It seemed like they were carrying over that momentum in the second half, they just sputtered. And that's something you can't do. If anything, you have to play well in the second half and finish the games off good.
0: Sean Aguano opened the quarterback competition this week between Trenton Borgay and Emory Jones. Um, that wasn't such an option last week as Aguano said he's never going to punish a player for an injury that he suffered. And thus, he started Jones last week and... Jones ultimately didn't perform up to the standard that was required to get the win against Stanford. And now facing a Colorado team, that should be an easy win for the Sun Devils. Um, Colorado, one of the worst teams in the FBS. Trenton Borgay, I feel, gives a better chance just for the Sun Devils going forward and even just looking long term. Sean Aguano has expressed his interest in wanting to come for this head coaching job long term and not just be an interim. Trenton Borgay, a junior, Emery Jones, a senior. Trenton Borgay could be the future quarterback that Sean Aguano hopefully will remain as the head coach. And that's what, if he hopes to remain as the head coach, having that chemistry and seeing what Borgay can prove here in the final stretch of the season. Going into next next year's season could be a promising sign and might be a mindset and something Sean Aguano should consider.
1: Yeah, and you know, I I like that Aguano rocked with Emory Jones this week. I I, I do uh, appreciate his stance of, you know not punishing him for getting injured you know something that's out of your control and given you know obviously Borgay was able to show that he has capabilities of running this offense uh, very well and very efficiently Um, and I'm just interested to see where this goes I think you bring up a fantastic point with Aguano trying to uh, lock up this position and be a head coach rather than an interim head coach I like what Aguano has done and I think if he can build a chemistry with Borgay it builds his case to be the next head coach here at Arizona State
0: lots of stuff to be considered in asu football but moving to the rest of college football it was a big weekend among a lot of the different conferences staying here in the pac-12 oregon upsetting ucla if you will an upset college game day comes to eugene for the first time in a while UCLA actually had the pleasure of hosting Oregon on a college game day last year, but lost there too. They haven't beat Oregon in a long time, and Chip Kelly is now 0-4 against his former team that he led to such prominence in the early 2010s, and so it's just a huge shakeup for the Pac-12 with UCLA being the last undefeated team there. And just the rest of the college football landscape now is in the balance of everyone else, with the Pac 12 left vulnerable to other teams' success as opposed to being able to control their own destiny through a team like UCLA.
1: Yeah, I'm looking at the the, the Pac 12 landscape as a whole. We have four teams at the top that are all inside the top 25. And essentially, what it's been is just those four teams beating up on each other. There hasn't really uh, been a clear front runner. I'll say, you know, to me, Oregon. Of recent has looked the best. They dropped the game early, um, undefeated in Pac-12 play. Um, But yeah, I mean, we we mentioned this last week. Was this this was Oregon's game to win? It was at home. They had everything going in their favor. Um, You know, UCLA has put together a a perfect season until then. But I believe they were bound to lose eventually, and and they ran into what quite possibly might be the best team in the Pac-12, Oregon that flew under the radar maybe a little bit because of that early season loss.
0: Here's what the interesting thing is to me is hypothetically, if Oregon goes on undefeated through the rest of this season, wins the Pac-12 championship, their one loss is to the Georgia Bulldogs. And if those Georgia Bulldogs progress through the rest of this season and dominate the SEC like they have been and claim the SEC title undefeated again like they do for the second straight season, and beat a Tennessee team and beat an Alabama team again. If Alabama loses again, they're out of the playoff. No two-loss team will make it into the playoff. But obviously, I think the, t- the committee would like to see a switch in, in the conferences. They brought in a group of five team in Cincinnati last season. And so if you're in a situation where Tennessee has one loss to Georgia and Oregon has one loss to Georgia, if you're the committee... Are you giving to the edge to Tennessee or Oregon?
1: Ooh, I mean, see, I'm not the committee, so I can't. I can't make. You know, I mean, if if it was me, I, I think that Oregon has a really good case. Um, the one knock against Oregon, which is maybe a little unfair, is just the fact they play in the Pac-12, and the Pac-12 is in the SEC. But you know. What I mentioned earlier, there's right now four teams atop the Pac-12 that are all ranked inside the top 25. So it's been a, a competitive conference, and there are good teams inside this conference. I mean, if you've watched each individual of those top four teams, you see that it's 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 a really stacked uh, stacked conference in terms of good teams that maybe we're not getting appreciated. But I think Oregon, I would like to see them in in, in the playoffs. As you mentioned, a shakeup's nice in the Pac-12 teams. I think have a different energy. I mean, when we saw Oregon in the playoffs last year, or um, not last year, but when we saw them in the playoffs last time, I mean, it was invigorating. I mean, it was was incredible to see them, and a a lot came from that Oregon team, and I would love to see uh, a second reign of maybe some Pac-12 teams in the playoffs.
0: Most definitely, the Pac-12 needs some form of hope if they want to keep this conference alive at all. But moving on from college football, we circle to... The NFL, where there has been some drastic changes uh, among quarterbacks who uh, originally were expected to do very successful with their new teams this season in Matt Ryan and Russell Wilson. Wilson coming to Denver from the Seahawks, expecting to take the Broncos into a competitive AFC West division that has been totally shaken up this year by... Just various aspects. The Chiefs still on top, but the Raiders have not looked good and the Broncos have looked even worse. But Ryan Tannehill hasn't looked the greatest either with the Colts who continue their trend of getting these stint quarterbacks like Carson Wentz, bringing him in. And really, since Andrew Luck retired from the game, the Colts haven't looked the same either. And and Matt Ryan, excuse me, coming into Indianapolis this season was expected to maybe have have a little juice left from atlanta and fit into this new system but that hasn't proven to be the case but just in your opinion who has been the worst performer thus far russ or ryan
1: well you know i think this is an interesting question because i think with russell wilson that's who i'll I'll initially say just because my expectation for him was a lot higher than he's performed he i think he had better he has better talent around him uh you know somewhat I mean as the team as a whole I think the Broncos had more talent than the Colts coming into the year so I think to see Russell Wilson not performing at really half the level that I thought he would is is disappointing and I catch Matt Ryan a break I mean he's I believe that he's part you know he's starting to go the latter half of his career um you know and in trying to fit him into a new system and it all working in a year I think was a a a, a tall a tall task for him um, so I'd catch him a little more of a break than Russell Wilson. I think Russell Wilson has a little more gas left in the tank. And he has not performed that well. And, and to be honest, the Colts, they've been putting up some points. And for the Broncos, they have just haven't been offensively there. They're not even putting up a lot of points. We saw them against the Chargers not really have a great game. Um, and it's, it, they've been a tough team to watch. So, you know, long story short, i will probably say Russell Wilson just because of that.
0: Well, even if you just look at the records, Denver two and five, yeah. and Indianapolis three, three and one. No, none of those are sexy records, I would no. say. But <laughs> Denver has been more disappointing, and Russ supposedly being the face of that franchise now. Broncos country, let's ride all the, all the advertisements and just all the hype coming into the season in a new place. Um, Russ has underperformed greatly with a 35.2 QBR on the season and three interceptions thus far, only a 58.6 completion rate. So just stats wise, Wilson's worse, but even just expectation wise, Wilson has far, under under um achieved in denver where he was supposed to um make them Super Bowl contenders as people as people were hyping them up to be. Um, Denver was hyped up to be in this AFC West where everyone thought the AFC West was going to have four possible Super Bowl contenders, not just playoff contenders, Super Bowl contenders. That has clearly not been the case with the Las Vegas Raiders or the Denver Broncos. And even the Los Angeles Charters have underperformed. The Chiefs have really only been the steady team here in the AFC West. And definitely I, I agree that russell wilson as a broncos fan has underperformed all of my expectations coming into this season
1: yeah i I, you know i don't know maybe if i had lower expectations i might say different but as you mentioned i bought into every bit of that hype i thought that the afc west anybody was going to have a shot i really liked the raiders too i thought that they were going to be a pretty competitive team i thought as you mentioned i think I legitimately thought any one of those teams had a shot of going to the Super Bowl, and I would have been surprised if they would have went to the Super Bowl. But the Broncos, I mean, I don't know. There's just so much talent on that team, defensively, offensively, and the addition of Russell Wilson. My only concern was really new coaching. and But beyond that, I mean, I think there is uh, – bigger problems at the surface than the coaching right now that offense is just not looked in sync russell wilson hasn't looked great and you know it's just it's a it's a messy messy division right now because those teams we all had high expectations for in every single one of them is not only underperforming just downright performing pretty bad
0: and make no mistake, Nathaniel Hackett is on a hot seat himself, yeah. and he is going. His job will likely uh, be up for for hype this offseason and maybe even into the season. We've already seen Matt Rule um, go away from the Panthers and him being fired, and several other coaches are in a difficult spot right now. But when you're the starting quarterback and you perform like you have you in the past, you're expected to be able to continue to perform at that high level, regardless of the situation and that with Russ underperforming has reflected very well on the part of Pete Carroll and the Seattle Seahawks who currently lead the NFC West which is loaded with the Super Bowl defending champion Los Angeles Rams who have definitely underseed my expectations for this season and then the San Francisco 49ers who went all the way to the NFC Championship against the Rams took down the Green Bay Packers who we'll get into a little bit but the Seahawks have been outstanding thus far and Geno Smith has really redefined this team and it really reflects well on Pete Carroll in just the sense that he and his coaching like if you think back to like kind of the Bill Belichick Tom Brady departure in that season that Tom won the Super Bowl and Bill didn't even make the playoffs that reflected really poorly on Bill Belichick's all-time resume and he him being one of the greatest coaches of all time like was it tom brady carrying the team and now it's the reverse role with was pete carroll coaching uh, up wilson the entire time and leading him to the success and so with that being said in this nfc west division i'm going to make a case for the seahawks to make the playoffs and possibly go even further than that as i was mentioning earlier geno smith has been outstanding thus far and he has been playing the best football of his career, mainly as a backup, and finally with the opportunity to just have that starting job. Many thought this offseason that the 49ers division rival were going to trade for Jimmy Garoppolo. That doesn't prove to be the case. Jimmy now in place of Trey Lance filling in his role. But he, he's not just performing well at a Pro Bowl level. He's performing the best in his division. If you just look around, Kyler Murray for the Arizona Cardinals has not been good at all and has not lived up to the contract he signed. I knew he was not worth that contract that he signed in this offseason, and that, that clause that was in there just proved of his lack of desire to study the game and grow as the game because they wouldn't put it in there if there wasn't any issue and the public knows that now is going to scrutinize him for that but and then Matthew Stafford has been dealing through his shoulder injury all all the, through this season thus far and Geno Smith has just been the standout at, among them and he has lots of weapons around him DK Metcalf Tyler Lockett out wide, two very elite targets and young receivers in this game, and then you have the explosive breakout back that is Kenneth Walker III. He has an extreme elite speed that has really been all over Sports Center highlights. He he has been a breakout had a breakout season this year along with Geno, and he just fits the system. Geno fits the system among with these other players. Pete Carroll is just proving how magnificent he is in this coach in his coaching and it really it's just been a very surprising outcome thus far but it's just proving to the culture that has been built in seattle for years dating back to their super bowl era in 2013 2014 when they went back to back and they haven't had a lot of success since they've only gone to the first first round of the playoffs so a couple of times and now you can look at Russ as pos- possibly the problem for that. Although Russ has played at a good level, he hasn't played at an elite level like he did in those early years. And it could just prove how good Pete Carroll has been coaching and how he has been able to help elevate Geno Smith to the game he has been able to be capable of reaching. And so if you just even look at the, ahead at the schedule for the, the Seahawks going forward, you, you have a chance against the Giants to really turn some heads this week. They're, the Giants are looked at as one of the best teams in the NFC with only one loss. And if they go in and upset the Giants, they have an easy road after that. They have the Cardinals, the Buccaneers, a bye the Raiders, Rams, and Panthers. So those are all winnable games right there after the Giants. And you can really make a case for this Seahawks team to not only make the playoffs, but win this very competitive NFC West division.
1: Love it. That's a great take. And, 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 you know, I think you do bring up a good point. I, I will add on just a little bit uh, furthering, you know, your take here is the difference between quarterbacks that are, you know, maybe, you know, here, mediocre and up here can be a coach. And that's what we're seeing. Pete Carroll elevating Geno Smith and Geno Smith right now. I put him at like a tier three quarterback right now. He's he's right up there with with some of the best of the best. He's performing and taking advantage of a division, as you mentioned, that just hasn't been performing that well this year um so good take there good hail mary take blake has always got good good takes um this week i'm taking on the jacksonville jaguars and why they can't make the playoffs so looking at the jacksonville jaguars on paper they're two and five and they're own five in close games so jacksonville has had a pretty good offense especially to start the season they're they're six in as far as uh, yards per game, I believe. I, I want to say 6, six seven. Yeah, they have 371 yards a game. But out of the top 10 teams... They are second to last in the top 10 of points per game. So they're getting the yards, but they're not getting the points. And that's been a problem. You know, we saw Trevor Lawrence in a bit of a, of a skid in the last four games. But, I mean, once again, going back to the schedule, we, we, we look at the, the Jaguars. They lost by six to the Commanders, so that was one score. Went on to route the Colts by 24. Lo- uh, beat the, the Chargers by 28. Lost only by eight to the Eagles. Lost to the Texans by seven. And then lost to the Colts by a, a score. So the Colts have been, or the the Jaguars have been in close games, and as well last week. I mean, they had a pretty good performance against the Giants as well, only losing by five. So I think the Jaguars have been that close to being there. They just haven't quite gotten over the hump, but. You know, when you when you look at their schedule going forward, they, they got the Broncos, the Raiders. You know, they, they run into some, com- some competition with the Chiefs and the Ravens. But beyond that, their, their schedule is doable. And like I said, this team's been so close, especially against teams like the Giants. They beat the Chargers. They were so close against the Eagles. And, you know, quite honestly, when you look at each individual uh, one of those games, you could say they could have won. Um, and I think that the Jaguars are, will eventually start winning some of those close games, and possibly get on a streak and take advantage of a division that hasn't really had any front runners. I mean, the Titans are four and two, but you know beyond that, they the Titans haven't looked great, and the Colts are, are 500. And then you got the Texans and the Jaguars. So I think it's a doable thing for the Jaguars. Like I said, they've been so close on so many of those games that if they can start winning some of those close games, they can put a heck of a season together on the second half.
0: I'm not gonna lie it hasn't been the jaguars of old it's definitely not been blowouts every which way they were able to ruin the uh, colt season last year in carson yeah. wentz in week 18 and ruin their playoff chances so they're known for being able to sneak in there and create some noise and just being able to almost beat the giants uh, i believe it was last week or yeah. a couple of weeks ago but right at the goal line of beating the giants who have looked like the best team in the nfc and then almost beating the Eagles, who are still the only team in the NFL that's undefeated. The part where I'm, th- this is just an organizational thing for me with the Jaguars and them being a terrible organization throughout the years, and they made a, another questionable move, in my opinion, in trading James Robinson, yes. the running back, to the Jets in place of a sixth-rounder, I believe... I know the running back market is pretty low value in terms of trades, but Christian McCaffrey just got off with a a boatload of picks, and obviously James Robinson's not at that level. But he's your main running back in your system right now, and... You're able to replace Brees Hall in, in New York in the, with the Jets, and that's a huge boost for them. They totally won that trade, but for the Jaguars, that's a huge hit to this team. Obviously, Trevor Lawrence, being the quarterback that he is, will be able to work with some of the weapons he has, but the run game has been effective in Jacksonville as well, and losing a guy like James Robinson, who has been very effective in, in the run game thus far, it's going to be a huge hit for this team. And if you're obviously, this team's always looking to continue to build and build and build uh, with draft picks and early draft picks and have been in this long, long rebuild i i just think you have the opportunity you've been creating some noise this year i don't know why you make this move right now
1: yeah and james robinson i I really liked him he was a running back that always would kind of get it done he was just there and and he was a a really good uh you know like sturdy point for this for this jaguars team And, and you know you mentioned it i don't like the trade either i thought the return wasn't great you know and The Jaguars have been in this, you know, revolving door of a rebuild, but it hasn't came through, and it's like... You wonder is it ever going to come through and what did draft picks even mean at this point because they haven't been able to take advantage of all the draft picks that they have gotten through this rebuild so i don't see the value there and i think james robinson was an asset that was uh, a really nice part of this jaguars team and i don't like to see him going i hate that i forgot to mention it because that was you know one of the first things that that i i thought of going into this was the fact that they have to move throughout this season forward without james robinson
0: yeah, and, that, and that's just going to be a hit on their playoff chances. I think they definitely, obviously, any team's going to have a better chance with James Robinson on their team. He's a fantastic running back in this league. And to be able to, to, have, to have to lose a guy like that and continue to have that look-forward mindset when there's nothing been looking forward to for Jacksonville fans is an unfortunate outcome. But moving on from the Hail Mary takes we'll see if our Hail Mary takes play out we got two each week but moving on to Neiman's notables this past week we had a lot of standout performers and especially a rookie coming through Jeremy Pena of the Houston Astros He was named the ALCS MVP as just a rookie, went 6-for-18 with two doubles and two homers against the Yankees in that series, including the remarkable, unforgettable three-run homer that tied the game and got Houston back in the game in that game four to sweep the Yankees and keep their undefeated postseason run alive. So that's a notable performance right there. And then... As far as football goes for notable performers, especially in the college scene, Kendry Miller of TCU had a season-high 153 yards and two touchdowns, both of which came in the second half as TCU completed an incredible comeback. They're now the only team alongside Tennessee with four wins against AP Top 25 ranked opponents. Do you believe in the hype of the Horn Frogs?
1: why not they've, they've they've performed so far this year you know they've uh like you said undefeated against you know top a uh, ap top top teams um In. and, and- i've tried to doubt them i've tried to pick against them you know a a, a few times this year and it it hasn't gone my way so i'm going to stop picking against them and say they're they're legit and and they're right there right now as they're undefeated and have had a, a great season so far
0: that just adds to the college football playoff discussion we were having because if tcu goes undefeated in the big 12 conference you can't just the committee i I, my opinion if i was on the committee i can't leave out an undefeated big 12 team that has a resume like that along with tennessee with no other team in the country having such a difficult schedule to come out with so many victories so if they can keep this undefeated run going they will be in the playoff most definitely but other notable performers in college football, not necessarily on the statistical side, but Cade Klubnik of Clemson comes in to a Syracuse game in which Clemson, I thought, was toast. I thought they were down. They were, it was late in the fourth quarter. Syracuse, undefeated team. Defense was looking strong all game long. Giving Uli Ugle the trouble throughout the game. And then Davo Sweeney gives the rookie top-rated quarterback in the class of 2022 the chance to make himself shine. He goes 2 of 4 p- passing, 19 yards and 15 rushing. But he provided the spark that Clemson needed to really get them back in this game. And I'm just wondering if obviously they've they've reiterated the fact that he's going to be the starter still but i mean the kid can definitely be used going forward as he's shown that he has that five star talent that he showed in high school
1: yeah sometimes you just need competition too to to get both guys going you know if you have uh, a more crowded uh positional race that that uh, brings everybody up a level um and i think you know we talk about it is just giving them the spark when they needed it if you got got guys who just can kickstart your team almost like jumping a car when it's dead it it can go a long ways and it's good to know that he's an asset that you have that you can plug in and play and use when you need that kickstart and he was very effective for clemson this weekend
0: I hope that Sean Aguano and ASU will consider to do the same with Trenton Borgay being that spark that the Sun Devils desperately need right now. But rounding off the Neiman's notables, Christian McCaffrey in his new uniform out in the Bay Area for the San Francisco 49ers last week had eight rushes for 38 yards, had some explosive runs that on the day. But how, how does he just elevate this 49er team and how did you see him fit in this Kyle Shanahan offense?
1: Yeah, you know I was one I don't know I don't want to say one of the few but I saw this move as a move by the 49ers as they were they they believe themselves that they're in a championship window and and they, and they think that that's why they made this trade that's why they traded all of those picks away for McCaffrey um I really like the move I, I think that he provides uh, a little more spark to that offense that they need you know Jimmy Garoppolo is taking uh, he McCaffrey takes some pressure off of Garoppolo in the sense that he can give him some offensive production when Garoppolo's not exactly performing at the top level. And I think that in the long term, this is going to be good uh, for the 49ers in, in the long-term sense of this championship window that they believe that they're in, whether they are in it or not, is up for debate. But in, in terms of trying to pursue and get the Super Bowl that, that they want, I think that this is a good move. And last week, we got a little slice and maybe a little taste of what's more to come. And I think that he'll eventually ease into Shanahan's offense, and this will be a, a good move, in, at least now, for the 49ers.
0: And look, Shanahan no doubt likes to run the football, especially when you don't have the high caliber quarterback in Jimmy Garoppolo. Not saying that Garoppolo is a low caliber quarterback, but he's nothing super special, really, on that Super Bowl uh, run to the Super Bowl to make an appearance. Uh, Um, Back against the Chiefs in 2019, they relied heavily on the run game with Mostert, among others, and that was really what they leaned on throughout the postseason, and it worked up until they had to face the Chiefs in the Super Bowl, and they really just, in the NFC championship game that year, they pounded the Packers with their run game and they've been able to do that effectively throughout Shanahan's tenure as head coach and so to have a running back that's not only effective in the run game but he's one of the best if I'm saying he is the best receiving running back in the game such a dual threat player is explosive every facet of the game so I think it's the perfect tool for this 49er offense and they're definitely in a championship window i believe just with two nfc championship appearances a lot of people are saying jimmy garoppolo can't get the job done but jimmy garoppolo hasn't been able to really get the job done in the regular season he's been eight he got the 49ers barely to the postseason last season in a wild card spot and look they were uh dropped a ball away from going to the super bowl and taking down the rams this team has the pieces to get the job done jimmy Garoppolo comes through when it matters most he plays in the good in the big moments and although he has lacked that clutch that not that clutch factor but just that playmaking factor and being able to move outside the pocket and just make plays on his own and create stuff I still think the addition of McCaffrey to the run game is really going to take that pressure off Jimmy G and kind of move it more towards uh, other other parts for defenses to focus on
1: yeah I'm a big Jimmy G guy you mentioned he's pretty much taken the 49ers to the Super Bowl like twice Um, but yeah you know I, I think Jimmy G has done well when he's not the only one for the offense you know we mentioned the run game he, he performed well when the run game was going it opened up the playbook uh, in the air and, and he thrived in that sort of setting and I think we're gonna see the same thing here and I wouldn't be surprised if we see this 49er team be competitive once again with Jimmy G as he tries to build his case for why he should be a starting quarterback in the NFL
0: we'll see how it goes for the 49ers but moving away from the Neiman's notables. We always have the Neiman's Narcs. And we're going to start with the New York Yankees, who, as we were mentioning earlier, got swept by the Houston Astros. And after a season in which they had a historic start and were on pace to have the best season in MLB history and outlast the 2001 Mariners season, that historic 121 win season, the Yankees were on pace to do better in the first half. But then an unfortunate second half in which they spiraled in August, especially where they only had a handful of wins, were able to come back in September, put some stuff together. Aaron Judge has his 62nd homer that he was chasing all season long, breaking the American League record, passing Roger Maris for that historic moment there. But the Yankees unable to come up with the ultimate goal of winning a World Series in being able to create a rematch from the 2009 World Series, which is the last World Series they appeared in against none other, the Philadelphia Phillies. It could, it would have been just a historic rematch between these two teams that have both not made the World Series since then. But the Yankees were a- able to get the job done. And where do they go from here?
1: Yeah, you know, it. That's it's painful for Yankee fans because you have that historic season, an incredible season, and that's the way you go out, you know. I mentioned it before. Coming out of July, they looked flat. They didn't look that good. They were really I think they were like 500 or below in the month of July and they just didn't look good and then you know to come out and get swept the way they did I mean granted it's a really good Astros team but to get swept I mean not even get a game you came home you had both your aces pitching and just nothing going for the Yankees you know in, in far as moving forward I think that you need to forget some of that stuff that happened in the second half of the season uh, this season. I, You know, it wasn't a terrible, it wasn't like an atrocious second half, but you had that momentum and then it all fell apart. I feel like they just got caught in a funk and really were never able to climb out of it. You mentioned, you know, September we saw them, you know, try to climb out of it, but they were too far down morally and like, you know, chemistry wise, um, that it was hard for them to climb out of that and and get back to the level that they were the first half. So, you know, to be honest, is you just try to go back and do what you were doing the first half of the season, see what was working right for you, and you know, get the bats going and and try to stick to that. But you know, in baseball, it's such a momentum-driven sport. It's a long season. You know, 160 plus games. Um, it's it's hard to be that good for the full season. But I think the Yankees have so much talent that it's hard to see it get wasted to a degree as it feels like it was this year
0: and look the best teams play the best baseball at the right time Right. the yankees played their best baseball when it really didn't matter and at the start of the season have a historic hot start and i'm gonna say the back half of the summer was atrocious it was <laughs> yeah. atrocious to watch the yankees play baseball they had a stretch where they didn't even like score a run everyone was striking striking out It was horrible baseball to watch as a baseball fan, to watch the Yankees so unsuccessful. And it was impossible for this team to be able to come back from something like that in August. Within a month span, they did put some pieces back into September, but they didn't look like the same team they looked at the first half. And that first half team, if they could have stayed like that first half team, they would have easily gone through the Astros, and it wouldn't have been a competition but after just that funk you can't come back from that funk like that and put the pieces back together as you were saying and just looking forward the biggest piece on your team is Aaron Judge he's due for some money this man deserved every penny he bet on himself last season after the Yankees weren't willing to pay up and now Looking forward, the Yankees are going to have to pay as much heftier price for Judge going forward after this all-time year, but also just long-term contract negotiations that have come to fruition with other players this season, such as Julio Rodriguez, have just fluctuated the market exceedingly high we all know the yankees aren't afraid to pay players and what he deserves there they will be waiting to pay judge but neither are other teams including the same city in the new york mets right across the way over in queens are going to be coming after judge as well The question at hand is, is it going to cost the Yankees more to keep Judge or to lose Judge? And in my opinion, the clear answer here is that it is going to cost them even more if they lose Judge. He is an iconic sports figure. Just looking at him, he's attracting ad revenue. Television agencies all over the country want to get a piece of Aaron Judge. I mean, heck, if you just look, when he was chasing that 60-second homer, on college football Saturday, they were split-screening with every Aaron Judge at bat. No other guy has that kind of power in the MLB than Aaron Judge. You take him out of the equation of this team this Yankees roster and you not only lose marks in the win column but also lose money in your pocket so how much is Brian Cashman and the rest of the front office being able to pay up to Aaron Judge and how much are they going to value him in this blockbuster deal that is to come will impact the Bronx Bombers in in this upcoming season and its seasons to come you got to pay
1: the man i've said it i said it last off season i don't you, there's no amount of money that you can't pay this guy if if the yankees were to lose judge, I believe that effectively they would be on the way to a downfall. And not necessarily, I mean, you look at the span of baseball, and there are very few players. Baseball is not a sport where one guy in, like, basketball will, you know, take you from ground zero to the championship. It's not like that. But Aaron Judge drums up all of that he has everything that you look for in a, in a player he's the face of your franchise he's one of the faces of baseball he's an all-time great we mentioned you know you mentioned the fact that we were seeing other sports being cut out to see him at, at bat for his record-breaking homer and his record-tying homer and I just feel like if the Yankees were to lose them, it would be one of the, the biggest fumbles of all time in sports history. This is a guy, I mean, listen, you're, you're the New York Yankees. You are one of the most prestigious franchises in sports, in the whole entire world, not just in baseball, not just in the U.S., in the world. So if you don't keep Aaron Judge, that would be very disappointing, and if I'm a Yankees fan, I would be rethinking my my uh, loyalty toward the team in the front office, because that would just be atrocious and very... Very disappointing for Yankee fans
0: no doubt about it Aaron Judge really carried them through that slump in August to be able to get a few wins here and there is the only form of offensive life if the Yankees don't keep Aaron Judge I guarantee you there's nothing else there Giancarlo Stanton is iffy now in his career he's injury prone the pitching staff with Garrett Cole is really the only arm in there they've been able to elevate here near the end of the regular season with their arms but Without Aaron Judge, you lose the support of one of the best fan bases in baseball because they keep you accountable. They'll tell you when you're doing stuff wrong. They'll cheer you like any better than anyone else when you're doing stuff right. And it will be an outcry from all of New York if Judge gets traded, especially in the Bronx if he gets traded to Queens. I could not imagine that happening. But we'll see what Brian Cashman is willing to do. So moving on from this iconic sports franchise in Major League Baseball, the NBA's iconic franchise, the Los Angeles Lakers, or should I say Edwards' Los Angeles Lakers, (laughs) who we were on our other show, Bottom of the Six, we were debating whether the other night on the opening night for the Clippers who was going to win the matchup between the Lakers and the Clippers. I said the Clippers were going to win by 15, and, quote, Edwards said... The Lakers would win by 20. Who won by 15? The Los Angeles Clippers. Thank you very much. Not a betting man, but it did happen. <laughs> the Lakers are 0-3 to start the season and are looking like a bag of garbage.
1: <laughs> okay, well, I'm going to take a, a a quick few breaths before I start throwing things in the studio. I'm I'm telling you, I mean... The Lakers, I, I'm still a, a firm believer. I'm gonna, I'm gonna stand as firm as I can until I get toppled over. That the Lakers are in a better spot than they are last year. I cringe when I say that because when I picked the the Lakers by 20, I wasn't, it wasn't a troll pick. I, I literally thought they would win by 20. Um, the fact of the matter is the Lakers can't shoot. LeBron said it himself. They can't shoot. They're getting fantastic looks. I mean, credit to LeBron and AD driving in the lane, kicking it out to open shooters, and, and nobody can seem to put the ball in the basket. I mean, that's that's the name of the game in basketball is you got you to shoot the ball. You know, you can do everything else, but that doesn't matter unless you can score points. And the Lakers are not doing that, but... You know, I don't know. Looking at this Lakers team, a lot of pressure is going to to, to Palenka in the front office to make a move on Russell Westbrook. This is this man has to go. I have tried to stay as loyal to russell westbrook as possible during his time here uh in los angeles and the fact of the matter is he's not working out i mean you know if you're lebron and you're the front office you have to admit that this experiment with russell westbrook is not working out he continues to pull up from three-point range deep in three-point range missing and, and clunking shots and that's something that is going to start to ruffle the feathers of the Lakers team this is what I worry about is if Russell Westbrook doesn't get dealt it can have long-term effects on the Lakers organization because when you have one player that's dominating the ball and not doing it well that's going to mess up everybody else's groove and everybody else's chemistry because Players are finally going to step up and say, what the heck? Stop shooting the ball. You're not shooting well. Stop shooting it. And if you try to tell a guy like Russell Westbrook that, it's not going to go well. So I feel like the best thing for the Lakers to do is to move on. Don't, you know, deal Westbrook for nothing. Get something in return. But pursue trading Russell Westbrook and surround LeBron and Anthony Davis with shooters because LeBron is, doesn't have patience at this point in his career.
0: When I look at Russell Westbrook, and I've looked at him like this last season, and it's a sad thing to think about, but it's probably reality. No team is going to want him. Yeah. He's dominated the ball all of his life and all of his career. He won an MVP in OKC doing it, but did you see OKC do anything in the postseason that year? No. With Kevin Durant by his side... They weren't able to get it done in OKC. Back with James Harden also James there Harden, yeah. In that early part of their career in 2012 when they went to the finals where this young upcoming roster that could take down the Heat, but he wasn't able to get it done with KD. KD left for Golden State, won two rings on his own. Russ stayed OKC on his own and then teamed up uh, with James Harden in the Rockets. Wasn't able to get it done with his former teammate James Harden in Houston. He goes to the Wizards and makes a little stint there. I got the triple double record it was hype about that but the triple doubles haven't even been showing up on the stat sheet anymore here and so there's really no value to him anymore especially on this Lakers team and I was so questioned just when the Lakers initially made the trade I was in my I was on a farm when I found out about the trade um doing farm work and I was like Russell Westbrook got traded to the Los Angeles Lakers I'm like Why would LeBron do that to himself and put another person that dominates the ball when LeBron has dominated the ball his entire career? Not in the sense that he just forces everything like Westbrook does, but he's a facilitator. And not saying that Westbrook isn't a facilitator, obviously he's the triple-double all-time leader, but at this point in his career, he's not a player that has shown he can take a smaller role on a championship team that already has star power that are meant to take a larger role and a role player is something that Russ cannot be and thus the only place he can fit is on a team that is not very good or doesn't have championship aspirations right now as in in a transition period. No one's going to be willing to take on his contract. So if I'm the Lakers, is it better just to release him? yeah
1: I don't know um you know like I said you you want to get rid of them but if I'm the Lakers I will want to get something in return anything I mean it just depends what the prices that people are willing to pay, I, I would go out on the market, try to feel out how things are, and and just try to work from from there. But, you know, like I said, this can have long term effects if he continues to play that he's been playing and dominate the ball, he's been how he has been dominating. It's gonna cause some chemistry problems and really can lead to a demise of a team because when players start to not click together and they start to have issues in the locker room which i'm not saying are present now but i'm saying could be present down the road if this continues that can break up a team and and that's something that the lakers and lebron james frankly can't afford right now
0: i would be very very worried if i was the lakers right now in just the sense of the future of the lebron era so to speak in trying to get another championship as lebron has aspirations for you're not going to get it done with the current roster you have you did nothing nothing this off season to try and make your roster better you had a late sign with dennis schroeder is that going to do anything no they don't they didn't try and get the pieces they needed to get this off season and thus, they're left with the same problems that they had last year. And even worse problems because it's the same roster and it's aged players, not young uprising players that can contribute at a high level. And thus, Russ is past his prime. LeBron passed his prime, but still is obviously one of the greatest players ever ever. Um, and then Anthony Davis is coming off of so many different injuries has not been reliable and LeBron's injuries are due to come as we saw last season had the most uh, significant amount of time spent away from the court and just this Lakers team is not built to win in the current construction that it is and we'll see what Jeannie Buss and the rest of the front office are willing to do going forward but moving away from the notable teams across America We'll do a little bit of stock up, stock down. Stock up, got to give it to the team that beat the Lakers most recently, the Portland Trailblazers, my Portland Trailblazers. Are 3-0 oh to start the season, Dame Dalla and Anthony Simons, Yusuf Nurkic, all that chemistry is looking good, picking up Jeremiah Grant for basically nothing this offseason was a steal, and this Blazers roster, I do not have championship expectations, don't get me wrong, but they are going to be competitive in this Western Conference. Dame is back from his injury. They're going to hold their own against teams, and Dame always comes through in clutch time is definitely going to make stuff interesting come postseason time if they get there.
1: Yeah, deserving stock up for the Portland Trailblazers. You know, it's just the first week of the the NBA, but they have done everything that i like to see out of the trailblazers one thing that i always associate with the trailblazers is that they're a fun team to watch and when damian lillard's on he's on and i hope this team continues that throughout the season as they've like i said it's been a really fun team to be around and and, and to see play i hated to see them beat my lakers but in the fashion they did it in it it had to be exciting for portland fans damian lillard with that clutch three-pointer down the stretch and making things happen for a portland team
0: And I love Dame to death, but I got to give him a stock down this week because he released in the media that he's never been to the Oregon coast. He's never (laughs) been to the Oregon coast. How can you live in Portland all your career and never go to the Oregon coast? It's one of the most beautiful places ever. I go there literally, oh my goodness, in the summers, at least once or twice a month. It's amazing. It's beautiful. It's not very warm water, but the beaches are Spectacular. Moe's Clam Chowder. It's better than New England Clam Chowder. you got to go to the Oregon Coast, Dame, make a trip out there sometimes for us Portland fans. But stocked down, double stocked down. Here we go for Bill Belichick this week. I think this is a stock down because last night against your Bears, which we'll get into in a second, um, Mac Jones didn't have the best performance to say the very least in him being pulled early on in the game after struggling two two straight three and outs and then a pick, and then he puts... uh, Bill Belichick decides to put in Bailey Zappi, who came in, didn't provide much either, went 14 of 22, 185, and a touchdown, but then two interceptions the rest of the way. But I just think with Mac Jones coming off this injury, he might have... I feel like he might have forced coming back too soon just with the way... The hype was coming around with Zappy, and then the fans also are chanting Zappy for him to for him to come onto the field in place of Jones. I just think to for Belichick to feed into that, and now you have this weird dynamic with Jones and Zappy in that whole area with fans. Now I just think you created a bad situation by not just letting Jones try and figure his way out of the 10-0 deficit.
1: What was that? I mean, that's that's my thing. I don't know if I was the only one uh, saying that last night, but I did not understand it. Listen, if you're going to start Mac Jones, he's good to go. He's going to play. You have to rock with him for at least the entirety of the game because bringing in Zappi now has created this fault line between really the whole organization, the fans, and even that quarterback room. It's what's going on now. I mean, I feel like that leash was very short on Mac Jones and I'm confused as to why it it happened I'm you mentioned Zappi provided a little bit of a spark right off the gate you know coming out but beyond that was not that great and didn't really serve that good of a purpose being substituted in for what might the return be now with you know Mac Jones and and Zappi I don't even know if you want to call it a quarterback competition or just really just a bad situation that might have been created by Bill Belichick there so deserving stock down in my opinion
0: yeah and just looking at a guy like mac jones he was a pole bowler as a rookie yeah led them to the playoffs and kind of being the new guy in place of uh, after tom brady left and kind of creating some hope for this fan base but and now you bring in a rookie like zappy and creating this weird quarterback competition that shouldn't really even be existing had mac jones not got injured and zappy in my opinion is never gonna outdo out out mac jones at least for this season i think you let zappy develop and maybe that's a competition come next off season but you're into the season now and i, I think jones coming might have forced his injury recovery a little bit a little bit too much just with how much the hype was building up around it and uh, it's sad for me to see bill belichick and all his coaching experience to fall into that uh stereotype but stock up for the opponent of the game your bears Got the win last night against the Patriots, in my opinion, from seeing Justin Fields play. You've seen Justin Fields play a lot more than me. But I thought it was one of his most well-rounded performances. And I liked what I saw Monday night. And I, I think the Bears, as you were saying, could possibly turn things around with if Justin Fields can elevate his game. And he certainly did last night.
1: Yeah, that was his best performance uh, of his career, I believe. I think it was he did it on the ground, he did it in the air. Um, looking at some of the stats too, as far as Belichick's record against uh, quarterbacks within like their first two years or something in Foxborough, it's not good. And and Fields was able to break that trend. And I'll say this, you know, buckle up because this might be the Bears' division. Um, you know that's—I know that—that's crazy to say—but looking at this division, you have the Minnesota Vikings. They're—they're they're having the best year out of anybody in in the division, top to bottom. But I just have a feeling that eventually they're going to fold. Something's going to falter, and the Vikings are not going to be able to continue the success that they're having. And when I look at the Bears. You know, they have some issues. They have some really glaring issues. Offensive line is not good at all. Uh, you know, receiving core can be better, and I believe those are issues that will be fixed during the offseason. But as far as this year, I feel like they're going to trend up here. Uh, I think. If they can get a win next week against the Cowboys, this can turn the season on tilt for the Bears because they are a team, when Justin Fields performs the way he did last night, uh, can be a dangerous team. And that division, like I mentioned, is not that good. And I think that this very well can be the Bears division as soon as this year.
0: I I like the Bears this year. I I like them even better next year, but we'll see what happens because... The Packers, who were the favorite coming into this year to win this division, have not been looking good, and neither have their NFC counterparts, the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. Both of them are both three and four, and not leading their divisions. It's been a wild turn of events. Big stock down for them, just with Aaron Rodgers in his performance and Tom Brady in his performance. Both of them look like aging quarterbacks that are out outside of their prime. And both of their championship windows, in my opinion, are now officially closed after the performances we've seen thus far. I just don't see either of these teams turning it around.
1: Yeah, and you know, just reiterating what you're saying, I think they are both closed. I think Tom Brady, this was his last chance, uh, didn't come through for him. It was unfortunate. I thought it would. I thought he had a lot of potential, especially from coming off really a game they could have won last year in the playoffs against the Rams with them getting the offense started a little too late um, and coming on at the end. And, And as far as Aaron Rodgers goes, not impressed with him, this is... Really, career defining years here at the end of your your, your uh, career that has been somewhat almost a disappointment, especially on the back end in the last and uh, the back end in, in the last decade. I mean, you know, uh, Aaron Rodgers really hasn't done anything. F- I mean, for this for as big as a name he has, he has not really done much within the past decade to warrant a conversation with tom Brady or anything of that nature as i'm sure he thinks that you know he deserves but you know the proof's in the pudding he hasn't been there the past 10 years and and he won't be there 10 years from now
0: yeah and the thing like with the tom brady conversation that really does it for me is throughout tom brady's career he was able to elevate underperforming receivers or not so hyped up receivers like Danny Amendola and Julian Edelman, guys who weren't looked upon as athletic receivers, and he was able to turn them into guys who contributed at a championship level, whereas Aaron Rodgers has had solid receiving core all throughout his career. And especially recently with Devontae Adams and now with Devontae leaving, he's left with this receiving core that is not filled with outstanding talent. It's not filled with necessarily bad talent. They got Alan Lazard and some other guys who aren't like terrible receivers. They can still contribute, but it's on the job of the quarterback to elevate those receivers and uh, really help their game come to the next level. And Tom Brady has shown that time and time again that he can do that. And Aaron Rodgers, that really plays a fault on him for not being able to elevate the receivers like Tom Brady has been. And that's definitely a conversation just for their quarterback legacy.
1: Yeah, you know, when when a quarterback like Aaron Rodgers has, you know, been able to work with his receivers and, as you mentioned elevate them as both Aaron Rodgers and Tom Brady has been able to do the, the first sign when they I believe of a career downfall is when they don't do the things that they always did well you can't teach a dog an old dog new tricks so you would expect these guys to do things the things well that they've done all career long and when they don't do those things well it's a red flag and and that tells me that something's different and something's not working and at this point in your career it's almost at a point of no return if you start to turn on a road where you need to refigure things out and restructure a whole team around you when you only have a few years left.
0: Yep, I think it's time for both of those guys to consider hanging up the cleats, especially Tom here soon. I, I think he should have hung up the cleats last yeah. season. But yeah. moving on, big stock up for just Philadelphia sports fans in general. has got to give a stock up for them because – the Phillies are going to the World Series first time since nine The Eagles are thriving. They're undefeated. If you're a Philly fan, you're one of the best fans in all of sports. You suffered through downfall and through not so many good years, but you're always loyal to your fan base, and now you see success come about, and you've got to just be partying in Philly. Yeah, the
1: Philly, the Phillies have been really good at home. The Eagles have been good at home. I mean really what it comes down to is you know philly fans will 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 say it as it is they'll 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 tell you like it is they won't they won't try to sugarcoat anything and the fact that they've stayed loyal to these franchises and showed up in packed arenas packed stadiums throughout you know the past however many years is is really a credit to them and i'm happy that they're finally getting their due and seeing some competitive sports being played in philadelphia
0: and they kind of got rid of a person that they pretty much forced out of one of their organizations in the 76ers, Ben Sivens now with the Brooklyn Nets, making his return this season after not playing at all last season in his first two games he's fouled out twice so got to give a stock down for him just in his sense that he has been fouling out but I have seen some promising signs defensively from him but I think it's just in a little too much getting back into the game so uh aggressively yeah you know Ben Simmons
1: he's gonna have to learn his role on this Nets team for them to be successful he's gonna have to settle in and just just be the guy that they need him to be but he can't do that when he's fouled out and sitting on the bench so you know stock down for him obviously for you know not being able to provide his team the boost that they need from him and that they're asking from him as he's been finding himself sitting on the bench at the end of the games
0: rounding off before we get to the two-minute drill we have the did you know that stat bryce harper as i was harping on earlier um, could become the first mlb number one overall pick to win rookie of the year mvp and a world series that would just be a career defining moment for Bryce and I would love to see it happen for him he's a hard-working guy and he's really been able to he's earned everything and I really think if he does this he can kind of be compared as the LeBron of baseball just in the sense of being the chosen one from such an early age and living up to all that hype but now for the two-minute drill former NFL wide receiver Antonio Brown was ordered to pay 1.2 million dollars in damages as we learned about last a couple of years ago when he allegedly assaulted a truck driver in 2020. Thoughts on just the fall off of his career and now his move into the rap game and all of that going on. Yeah, you
1: know, uh, somewhat disappointing. I mean, I could say so many things about Antonio Brown. Heck of a ball player, though. Uh, Definitely more of a polarizing player, but he he got it done and and he made it work with multiple teams. Uh, A little bit heartbreaking to see that, you know, some of these outside. Things have affected his his career and, and his legacy, but uh, you know, I mean, it's just just the way it is. Uh, moving on, Zion Williamson taking extra time to recover from his hip injury is Williamson a forever uh, injury prone.
0: I think he is. Just how big he is, and just how how much he. How much force he applies into the ground in every single movement. He's got to be more careful. Just his athleticism is through the roof, but that can only last so long. And if you've already been having these injuries through throughout your early part of your career, he reminds me a lot of Greg Oden. I hope it doesn't turn out like that. And that was such a sad story, especially with my Blazers, especially taking him over Kevin Durant. I won't get into that conversation, but um, yeah, it's been a sad start to his Williamson's career. He, he'll be This obviously isn't a super serious injury, but I just hope more injuries don't happen like this. I just think he needs to take it down a notch. But... Moving on, a rookie this year, Paulo Caro has been tearing it up to start his rookie season. And is he the frontrunner for Rookie of the Year? And do you think he will end up being the Rookie of the Year?
1: I do. Uh, I, I say yes to both those questions. He's had a heck of a start. Um, he put the best uh, rookie performance debut I think since LeBron uh, that's a tough thing to do especially LeBron you know that being 20 some years ago. Um, hats off to Ben Carroll I mean to be honest that's a product of Mike Krzyzewski and, and Duke and he's carrying that into the NBA I'm glad he's working out and I'm glad that hopefully he's going to turn out well in the NBA uh, round things off your Big Ten clash this weekend Penn State versus Ohio State who you got
0: gotta go Penn State we are Penn State dad went to Penn State gotta love them they're the underdog and they're coming to happy valley it's gonna be a packed house over 100 over a hundred thousand fans are gonna be there they're gonna isolate ohio state who just moved into ap1 spot in the polls penn state coming off a tough loss to michigan but they're gonna be able to bounce back this week and come in and give ohio state all they got and just bring it to them Give CJ Stroud with their defense. It's going to be an electric environment. They haven't been able to come up with a win in Ohio State in a while, but I just got a feeling this year is the year.
1: And what havoc would that have on, I mean, an already very hectic college football uh, scene? I'm going to, just to be different, I'm going to take Ohio State here. They're going to roll through with their number one ranking, and I'm going to say they're going to beat Penn State in electrifying fashion with a route.
0: We'll see what goes down in the packed stadium. That will be at Beaver Stadium on Saturday night. It'll be a great matchup between two historic schools, in my opinion, up there with Oregon versus Oregon State as one of the greatest rivalries in all of college football, in all of sports. But That's going to round it off for our show today here on The Screaming Neemans. We appreciate you all tuning in wherever it may be on Apple Podcasts or Spotify. Weekly episodes come in each week, so make sure you subscribe and stay up to date on all that's going on with all the sports world and how you can formulate your opinions and make hot takes with other people as well. We enjoyed having you um, listen in, and we'll see you all next week on The Screaming Neemans.